Welcome to the Mastering the Game of Life podcast. In this podcast, there'll be insights around three key areas to mastering the game of life. Purpose, prosperity, philanthropy. Your host, Paul Lowe, the third sector mentor, is the founder of Hearts Global CIC, which along with many other of his charitable commitments, has been responsible for positively impacting thousands of people's lives, particularly young people from disadvantaged communities. Author of Mastering the Game of Life, From Pain to Purpose, and Speaking from Our Hearts books. Introducing your host, Paul Lowe. Welcome once again, listeners, to this Mastering Life podcast episode where I'll be telling a story from the Speaking From Our Hearts book um, around what a South African coach, a lady by the name of Sherry Forsyth. Um, Sherry tells a very, very stark and inspiring story called From Hell to Healing. And um, well, without further ado, I'll unfold the story. Our lives were irrevocably changed on the 17th of February 2002 when our youngest daughter Kerry died, aged nine. She died following an operation to remove a non-malignant tumour from a pituitary gland. When the doctor told us she was brain dead, I just remember grabbing his hand with a long moan of, No! We left the hospital numbly that morning with achingly empty arms and returned to a home without our Kerry, our bubble of joy and enthusiasm. Previously, our home had been alive with the sounds of her excited chatter and now we were plunged into a hollow silence. I woke up every day for many months afterwards feeling that I'd experienced a terrible, terrible nightmare, consistently thinking, oh, how awful. I know it will go away and I'll wake up only to find it crushingly true. It felt like part of me had been ripped away. I now had to adjust to a new normal with my husband Mike and our older daughter Kathleen. Words don't even come close to describing how I felt, shattered into a million little bits. Bleak, heavy and overwhelmed with waves of excruciating pain at the thought of living the rest of my life without her the physical pain in my heart. And how I cried and I cried and I cried. <clears throat> I didn't know there could be so many tears in just one person. The raw pain, longing, pining, missing her were all too much. I felt my subs coming from deep within my gut, fueling moans of anguish. I just couldn't stop them. They came and they came and they came. Initially, there was a lot of care from our community, but gradually, as is to be expected, it dried up. By this time, my husband Mike was also unable to speak about the loss of Kerry. I felt isolated and surrounded by a dark swirl of pain and loneliness, shunned by others. It was like I'd become someone, someone else, because of the loss of our daughter. People who used to greet me now suddenly pretended they didn't know me, adding to the pain of our loss. We sadly lost relationships with so-called dear friends and family, pain on top of pain. I can only think that they thought losing a child was contagious or that they wanted us to be the same people we were before Kerry died, which was obviously impossible. How could anyone be the same after so much suffering, dealing with such fracturing grief? 
About three months after the death of Kerry, I noticed a change in Mike. He was suddenly very angry and volatile. It started off with an incident once a month, then became once a week, until eventually it was many times a week. The only person who could really understand the loss of of Kerry was my fellow parent, my fellow sufferer, my husband, and yet he cut himself off completely. In In his place was a man who regularly shouted at me, blamed me for everything, was frighteningly irrational in arguments, always had to be right, and accused me of all sorts of things. He was a complete stranger to me now. Where was the old Mike I loved? Where was my empathizer, my beloved husband? Imagine the incredulity, a kind, loving, peaceful man who transformed into an abusive, cold monster. However, he reserved his appalling behaviour for me and me me only. Outwardly, he was as charming as ever and he paid lip service to psychologists so they thought he was dealing well with the death. Now, in addition to my own grief, I was dealing with the stranger in our marriage too. As I fought to save our marriage, I was confronted with more and more bizarre behaviour from Mike, which made me wonder if I was losing my mind. I particularly recall, after an all-night fight between us, he, he whistled off to work the next day, leaving me in a miserable huddle on our veranda, sobbing as I watched him go. And when he came home that night, I mentioned that we needed to resolve the issue from our fight. Which fight, he asked. And when I replied, the all-night one, he said it didn't happen. His behaviour was so awful that he couldn't even admit it to himself. If he admitted to it, he would have to do something about it. And he didn't have the capacity to, to engage with his monster man side. My husband was totally fractured and I feared for his mental health. Another worry was added to my already overburdened shoulders while he seemed to have no worries at all in his own world but his eyes betrayed him. They were dead. They were dead at their core. As our marriage rapidly deteriorated he became even more volatile. He then took to ignoring me. It was as if I didn't exist as if I wasn't living in the same house as him. On one occasion I was expecting him to take me to hospital for a minor day surgery. He forgot. So I drove myself. When he came home and I had a plaster over my nose, he pretended he didn't see it. He didn't ask me how I was, let alone apologise for forgetting. Being ignored was telling me that I was worthless, not important enough for his attention, a nothing, a nobody. It was one of the cruelest things he could have ever done. From feeling like a treasured, loved and worthy wife, had been demoted to an invisible thing, a being. I still battled on though, fighting for our marriage. I didn't even know if I wanted him anymore and every step of the way I was being thwarted by Mike. This battle continued for eight years with our marriage heading further and further into dysfunction. I was exhausted to my core and bewildered. I put my own grief journey on hold in order to put my emotional energy into caring for Mike and then tried to save our marriage, and yet all I received was abuse, blame, accusation, criticism. I fought so hard because I knew this monster man was the result of Mike not dealing appropriately with the loss of our daughter Kerry, and that once he allowed himself to grieve, he would start healing. 
then hopefully our marriage could recover. During all of those eight years, I never ever gave up hope. I always believed it would come right. However, in 2010, the year we both turned 50 and Kathleen turned 21, he had an affair. The pain of this betrayal was the last straw to me. I finally lost all hope. A year which we should have been filled with celebration was filled with barrenness, pain, anger, rejection and disbelief. A tether in marriage was now absolutely shattered. There was nothing left anymore. I really didn't care about him, our marriage, myself, anything. I was in an emotional vacuum, which my brain, which was basically my brain protecting me from the pain of the awful situation which had manifested. Having fought so hard to save the marriage I had treasured, I now crumbled, collapsed, and my heart shattered into bits. I felt I could never ever put put it together again. I wasn't sure if I'd, I'd ever recover from this. I had lost a daughter, some friends, some family members, but I had valued my relationship and my marriage above all other things, and now this too had collapsed. So what was left for me now? How much pain, how much more pain was I to endure? It was as if I'd been flattened time and time and time again by a 10-ton truck. And just as I was standing up again, the next truck would arrive and flatten me again and again and again. Eventually, it took me longer and longer to gather my resources and stand up between the aftershocks. Maybe it would just be easy to remain lying on the ground. Then I wouldn't have to invest all my energy and keep getting back up. If I just lay there, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have very far to fall back down each time. I requested that Mike leave our family home and when I found out about his affair, my life was grey without hope, without laughter, just an endless nothingness, nothing to excite me, nothing to look forward to, nothing to live for, nothing, 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 nothing. Looking back, I realise how scary it was for me to feel nothing. I am, I am a sensitive soul and always care and feel so much. But suddenly, the Sahara Desert had nothing on me. I was in a barren, heavy, dark, imbalanced and very unhappy place. Gradually, though, I could see the darkness begin to lift and let the light in. My rays of sunshine were our daughter, Kath, my parents and sister, my sister-in-law, a few friends and my work as a life coach. Other than that, life was totally meaningless to me, so now came a time of profound introspection. What had this journey taught me? What was life all about? What was important to me? Could I teach myself to care again? Could I teach myself to be passionate about anything ever again? Could I ever laugh again? Where was I heading to now? I started to put myself back together slowly. It took a few months off work and I was gentle with myself, spending many hours reading and growing in knowledge, doing anything to soothe my jangling soul, finding my mojo. I began exercising again, spending time with my family and trusted friends, but mainly I was pondering and thinking and pondering some more, always, always listening to beautiful music. Then I woke up one day with a flutter of excitement in my heart, albeit short-lived. 
and I knew that I was healing and it would be okay eventually. I had found out where my priorities were. I had found out who I was, my values, what I was prepared to put up with or not, and what kind of life I wanted to live with or without Mike. I realised I'd overcome one of my greatest fears, the fear of being on my own. I could be happy on my own. I was a strong, independent woman. The steel core inside of me had bent, but it didn't break. So what happened to Mike and our marriage? Well, Mike got seriously ill and remains so until today with a chronic and rare autoimmune disease, uh, as well as, as contracting diabetes. This was caused by stress, the stress of living a lie, trying to pretend that everything was fine, that he was coping well with the loss of Kerry. He finally underwent a powerful awakening, becoming conscious and experienced, and, and, and he underwent a metamorph metamorphosis. It, it's almost as if he'd been living in a mist of fantasy, and now the veil fell from his eyes. He could see who he'd become, the damage and hurt he had caused, the trust he had shattered, all the things of value that he'd now thrown away. He started on a major programme of personal development and slowly and painfully a different man began to emerge. He became conscious, achingly aware of how he'd been living since Kerry had died. He allowed the thoughts he had been blocking to flood his soul. In doing so, he became aware of all the things that the monster man had destroyed. He could no longer deny them. There was nowhere to hide. Courageously, he looked at the very worst of himself and he didn't like what he saw. So he worked hard to change it. When I saw Mike putting effort into himself and our marriage, gradually my injured heart warmed a little to him. I had never stopped loving him, but I was still guarding my heart. It had been stomped upon too many times. However, I started entertaining the thought of being with him again. After a six-month separation, we got back together. We've both worked very hard to rebuild our marriage using the hardship to weather ourselves and our marriage into something even more beautiful than it, than it was before. We've, we've both become strong individually and hence together we are even stronger. We meditate together every morning, both work from home, take time each day to enjoy life and enjoy each other, socialise and live a life filled with hard-won hard peace. We now have a marriage characterised by love, laughter, authenticity, honesty, kindness, joy and connection. We will be celebrating 29 years of marriage in September 2017. So that story is concluded by a wow. The power of perseverance. These words of wisdom. Never give up on something you truly believe in. So there you have it, listeners, a very, very heart-wrenching uh, story from Sherry Forsyth, somebody who is a, a very, very well-respected international coach in uh, life coach in South Africa and somebody that I class as fortunate to, to call a, a true friend. hope that's been of use to you, some value in there, some value, invaluable insights. Until the, till the next time, the Mastering Life podcast, take care. Thanks for listening to the Mastering the Game of Life podcast. 
drop a line to paul at paullowhart.com with any thoughts or questions you may have, and he'll be more than happy to respond. Alternatively, check out Paul's website at paullowhart.com or any of his social media feeds under the same name. Remember, mastering life starts by embracing our hearts.